The Hearing, a legal podcast from Thomson Reuters. You've got to get out of your comfort zone if you want to grow and develop yourself personally and professionally. When we're in that comfortable space where we know what we're doing and it's all fine and it's all, you know, you're not really growing. You're just comfortable. But when you get into that space where you're thinking, how do I deal with this? How do I cope with that? What am I going to do to deal with that challenge? When you get into those spaces and you're trying to, you know, move yourself on in some way, that's when you're really going to grow. And that's where it's exciting. Hello, listeners. It's Yasmin here. Welcome to another episode of The Hearing Podcast. My next guest today is Lubna Shudja, and she is the outgoing president of the Law Society of England and Wales. What I found interesting about this interview, it's a very enjoyable interview for me personally, it felt like talking to an old friend and I think that reflects the style that Lubna has. She's relatable, she's accessible, she's easy to talk to, very friendly, but I got this sense there was a huge weight of responsibility that she felt. She's the first Muslim president, um, the seventh female to become a president and she feels that sense of responsibility. She doesn't want to pull the ladder up. She wants to be visible for people, particularly people in minority positions. I think what surprised me from this interview is how long the day was for a Law Society president. I knew it involved hard work, but I didn't realise the really early starts, the long days, working over the weekend, and perhaps that's exacerbated because Lubna mentioned, and she was very honest about it, the fact that she feels this extra weight of responsibility being in a minority position. The Hearing. Lubna Shuja, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of The Hearing Podcast. It's great to have your company today. How are you? Thank you for inviting me and I'm very well, thank you. It's really nice and an honour to be asked to do it. Oh, absolutely. We've had a couple of uh, Law Society presidents, so I'm, I'm honoured to have your company here today and to really learn from you, you know, your style of leadership. Um, so most people, Lubna, will know you as a Law Society president. You've done many things before that, but I want to understand, you know, what has been your journey to date to this prominent position? What did you do before? So I'm actually um, originally from Bradford, Yasmin, and I never thought that I would become a solicitor, let alone president of the Law Society of England and Wales. Um, When I was at school, I didn't know anything about law, didn't have any legal role models. My teachers didn't talk to me about a career in law. I didn't even watch legal dramas on television. Uh, And, you know, my perception of law when I was a lot younger was that this is for something, uh, you know, this is for people who are from a white middle-class background, who've got contacts within law, who've got connections, uh, and, you know, really didn't think that it would be something that I could go into as a career. And I actually almost accidentally fell into it. It's really strange because when I look back over my career, I feel like lots of things have sort of happened almost by accident, but you kind of, it's led you to something else and something else and something else. So, you know, when I was a lot younger, maybe uh, similar to your own experience, My parents always drilled into me, education, education, education. You've got to get an education. And, you know, they were working class background. uh, But they, you know, like many parents, they want more for their children than they've managed to achieve for themselves. So I knew I was going to go to university or I wanted to go to university. Um, 
Uh, and, and I should add also, I was very, very fortunate because way back when I went to university, and this is, you know, oh, 35 years ago, at that time, local authority grants were available. And that would, you know, if you were on uh, from a family with a low income, you could apply for a local authority grant. And that would help to fund some of your uh, uh, tuition fees and some of your living costs and maintenance, co- maintenance costs. If it was not for getting that grant, I am absolutely positive that I would not have gone to university. I wouldn't have been able to afford to do it. Uh, My parents certainly couldn't afford to pay for me to go to university. So um, I decided I was going to do an English degree. And the reason why I thought I was going to do an English degree was because I thought I'd go into journalism. And this is going back to role models. Uh, I had a couple of cousins who were journalists. They used to work for the BBC. They're a lot older than me, but they used to work at the BBC. So they used to talk to me about the jobs that they did, the documentaries that they'd made. Uh, And I thought, oh, I could do that. That sounds really, really interesting. That's something I would like to go into. So I thought an English degree is what I need to do to get into journalism. So I got myself a place on on, uh, an English degree at university. And when I got my A-level grades... I did a lot better in my A-levels than my teachers had predicted. And that was the point when a really good friend said to me, you could get onto a law degree with those grades. Why don't you look at going into law? You could still go into journalism if that's what you want to do. But actually, a law degree will probably open up a lot more options for you. So I actually got onto a law degree through clearing I literally went through clearing, managed to get myself a place to do law. And I went to, back then, it was called the Polytechnic of Central London. It's now known as Westminster University. Uh, But I went to a polytechnic, Polytechnic of Central London. I did my law degree there. And as soon as I started studying law, absolutely loved it. Really, really enjoyed finding out about cases, finding out about law, legislation, how it framed everything that we do, how it underpins the rules that society has to abide by. Um, You know, particularly enjoyed doing criminal law because, you know, we got some really, you will remember, I'm sure from when you studied, uh, they were very, um, very colourful cases that we used to study in criminal law. And that was really inspiring. You kind of really related to it. And that's when I was hooked. And that was when I decided, you know what, I'm going to do law. I'm going to become a lawyer. I'm going to be a solicitor. Gosh, I've known you for a number of years and I didn't know your backstory. So that's really interesting. And just (laughs) by chance, a friend said, you know, maybe you could do this. Never, never thought about it. Didn't have the role models, maybe. No, not at all. Well, that's 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 a very fortunate. And now you're the president of the Law Society. I mean, I can't even, some, I still pinch myself, Yasmin, honestly. I mean, I, I took office in October um, 2022, last year. And even now, I pinch myself and think, really? Are you sure? Is this a dream? Are you going to wake up and realise it hasn't really happened? Because it really is so far beyond any expectation that I ever, ever had um, you know, when I when I came into the profession, um, you know, I was just quite happy to have a job working with a firm as a solicitor. That was like, yeah, I'm here. I've done it. I'm a solicitor, you know. 
but yeah, to be where I am now is is just, I mean, it's fantastic. It's amazing. It's yeah. amazing. And so was there a moment when you thought, because we were on council together, That's right. where you thought, actually, do you know, I could actually go for this position. When was that moment? When I joined, so when I joined council, and I've been on the Law Society Council now since 2013, um, and honestly, honestly, I never, ever thought when I joined council that I would ever see a president who was a non-white president. You know, when I joined council, um, I just thought, and it's funny because when you join council, and you may remember this from your time on council as well, Yasmin, people do say to you, Oh, do you think you'll go? Do you think you'll put yourself forward for president? Do you think you'll go for president? And I very clearly remember saying to somebody, "Don't be so stupid. That's not going to happen. Of course not. I would never get it." I remember having that conversation with people, but then during the time that I um, have been involved with the Law Society, and as I say, I've been there since two thousand thirteen, I started to get involved more and more with the actual work of the society. So I got involved in committees. Um, I eventually ended up becoming chair of the Membership and Communications Committee. Uh, I became a member of the uh, Law Society Board because of my chairing that particular committee. And as I started doing more and more work, and as I got more and more involved with all of the absolutely amazing and fantastic work that the Law Society does, uh, and I really threw myself into it because I'm quite passionate about our membership I'm passionate about making sure that we are delivering for members. Um, I feel really strongly about issues like access to justice. Um, I feel very strongly that anybody, no matter what their background, no matter what their means, everybody should be able to access a lawyer. Everybody should be able to get legal aid. You know, I want our members to be able to see the fantastic work that goes on at the Law Society. You will know we do a huge amount of work when it comes to Um, championing the rule of law, when it comes to holding people who are in power to account, um, when it comes to making sure that uh, everybody is able to access the law, making sure that legal aid is available for everybody who needs it. Um, You know, there's so many, many, many issues. We do a whole lot of work internationally. So I started doing more and more of this and getting more and more involved with it and becoming more and more vocal. And it was actually other people who said to me, you should go for Law Society president. You'd be really, really good at that role. You should go for it. And again, you see, I say to you, things happen. I kind of fall into things. That put a seed in my head. When other people started saying to me, you'd be a really good president. You should do that. You should go for that. That's when I started thinking, oh, yeah, maybe maybe I could do that. Maybe I'd be all right at that. Maybe I could do that. And that's where, you know, Often, and this has happened throughout my career, other people will see the potential in you before you see it in yourself. Other people will see what you are capable of or might be capable of before you start thinking about it yourself. And that's where the seed goes into your head and then you start thinking, yeah, well, actually, maybe I can. You know, if other people think I can do it, maybe I can do it, maybe I can do it. And I had a number of people that that kind of, you know, really encouraged me to go for it. And um, I did. I I thought, you know, it took a a bit of time. I didn't kind of just launch into it straight away. Gave it some thought over, 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 over a few years and thought, actually, you know what? 
yeah, maybe yeah. I maybe I can do this. Let's have a go. And I was very very fortunate because the first time I was up for election, uh, I got through. I was elected on the first time that I tried. So I was very very fortunate to have so much support from colleagues. Well, you earned that support obviously through your work, <laughs> and they could see. I hope but so. I, yeah, I, hope. I like I to can... think. I like to yes, think. yes. Yeah. And I can hear two things going on and I can relate to and I'm sure our listeners can relate to this is that if you are in an ethnic minority or in a minority group of some sort, then, you know, that phrase, if you can see it, then you believe you can be it. But, you know, you were the first Asian, first Muslim, seventh female um, to become president. And it's very hard when you don't see those role models. And, you know, given that uh, the president Law Society position has been established in 1825, I believe. That's right. Nearly That's remarkable. 200 Nearly yeah. 200 years ago, yeah. Remarkable, yeah. isn't it? So it's very hard to visualise you being there, but then it takes other people to see something in you. Sometimes the biggest barrier is ourselves, isn't it? It's yes, believing absolutely. we can actually do something. Absolutely. Um, and, um, I, and I actually flip that, you know, you, you we do hear the phrase, you know, if you can't, you know, if you, if you can see it, you can be it. But I like to flip that and say, actually, I couldn't see it, but I became it. There's nothing stopping you. Just because you can't see it doesn't mean you can't be it. Exactly. You know, you've got to have a go. You've got to put yourself forward. You've got to You've got to be in it to win it, as they say, you know. So I, I do say to people, don't worry too much if you can't see yourself reflected. It doesn't mean you can't achieve it. Yeah. And it, it makes it scary in a way because you might get judged more harshly or judge yourself more harshly because you know no one has come before you and therefore the standard at which you're measured against can probably seem harsher in some ways or we give ourselves a harder time because we know we have to do it for so many other people who are looking up to us potentially. It's a huge responsibility, Yasmin, a huge mm. responsibility. And I feel the burden of that all the time because, yes. uh, I mean, it, you know, I'll, I'll say it, if I mess something up, it's almost like, you know, you're going to be judged on that in a different, on a different level to what somebody else might be judged who's from a more traditional background, who's from a, a more, uh, you know, acceptable background, acceptable in quotation yes. marks. And you do feel that, you know, you are you are paving the way for others who are going to follow you and you want to make sure that you're setting a good example and a good standard so that anybody else that's coming through, and I really do hope that there are going to be many, many more coming in behind me, it's easier for them. Yes. And, you know, one of the questions I had for you, and it made me think, because I don't know how you feel about this question, because it is about your identity, but, you know, you are among the few women of colour to occupy occupy such a senior position within the law society how do you think this significant milestone will impact then the future of diversity and inclusion within the legal profession you've just said I hope more people will have more belief that they can do this as well but two parts that question what do you think the future impact will be and secondly do you sometimes I'm sure this question has come up before do you get tired of answering questions around your identity because I know if people go on about me being disabled or something like that. Yes, it's an obvious question, but do you sometimes think, oh, can I talk about something else, please? What What do you think about that? I don't tire of talking about it at all. Okay. I think it's really, really important because the more you talk about it, hopefully the more people that you reach. Um, I mean, I am, I, I am so, so proud 
uh, to have got to where I am. I'm so proud to be the first Asian, uh, you know, the first Muslim, the seventh female president of the Law Society. It is, I mean, it is a milestone achievement, but also it is incredibly important that I do share my story, uh, that I do talk to others about um, how I've got to where I have got to. I know uh, from conversations that I have had, and this is across the profession. So not only do I go and speak to uh, uh, A-level students, law students at university, I've talked to students doing the LPC, the SQE, I've talked to junior solicitors, I've talked to solicitors across the profession, right through to partners in very, very large firms. And um, without a shadow of a doubt, those who are from a minority background, be they Asian, black, whatever, uh, they all say to me, you know, how much seeing me in the position that I'm in has given them the encouragement and the inspiration to go for things that they want to go for. So I have no doubt that, you know, being vocal, being visible, talking about it, it doesn't matter how many times I have to talk about it, if I even reach one extra person from each conversation that I'm having, job done, job done. Because it is about encouraging the future generations. It is about encouraging those who are already in the profession to really reach out and go beyond what they think that they're capable of achieving. Because honestly, sometimes, you know, I always say to people, until you're out of your comfort zone, you're not really growing you got to get out of your comfort zone if you want to grow and develop yourself personally and professionally. When we're in that comfortable space where we know what we're doing and it's all fine and it's all, you know, you're not really growing. You're just comfortable. But when you get into that space where you're thinking, how do I deal with this? How do I cope with that? There's this challenge. What am I going to do to deal with that challenge? When you get into those spaces and you're trying to, you know, move yourself on in some way, that's when you're really going to grow. And that's where it's exciting. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, mean, well, I can hear. Yeah. I can hear the passion coming yeah. through. It's infectious. But I agree with you. I think a trait that some lawyers have, I've noticed this, is perfectionism, particularly women, actually. I have that. I have that. And yes, that sounds stereotypical, but it's something I've observed and, and firms are feeding back to me. And I think that can hold us back from thinking that failure, it isn't actually failure if you make a mistake. It can be feedback and helping you grow and develop and learn and be in the sort of not the comfort zone, but the stretch zone where you actually you are making mistakes, but you're learning. And how do you deal with how do you learn from those mistakes? How do you you know, you will ask different questions of yourself, not I've messed up and you know, but actually, how can I use this as feedback to become a better lawyer, you know, better team leader or whatever it is? Well, you know um, what FAIL stands for? First attempt in learning. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, there's no such thing as failure. And actually, you know, you need to be ready to fail and learn from it because that's how you grow. The hearing. On the outside, you're a lawyer, calm and cool. But inside, there's a passion to perform, a drive to be absolutely on your game. You prepare hour after hour, day after day, in the pursuit of excellence, relying on superior resources, serious preparation, and total confidence. That's the advantage we give you 
Be Your Best with Thomson Reuters Practical Law. I'm Kim Vanell. Join me every morning for a roundup of what's happening at home and around the world. From the front line in Ukraine. Extraordinary how these people adjust and uh, even laugh when you take cover. To the heart of US politics. When Trump said that he expected to be arrested, it seems like he was trying to get ahead of the story. We bring you everything you need to know in 10 minutes. For your essential daily briefing, follow Reuters World News wherever you get your podcasts. So let's talk about, because I can hear your passion about access to justice, and I've seen a lot of stuff on LinkedIn and articles. So what have been your primary objectives then for the society during your your tenure? Well, every president has a presidential plan when they start their year. So I've had five key priorities that I've been working on. The first priority that I've had has been around really championing the role that solicitors play in society. I've talked about that a little bit already. Um, You know, I really do believe that everybody, no matter what their background, no matter what their means, they should be able to access a solicitor. They should be able to access legal advice. uh, And I want to see that happening. Uh, One of the things that we do sometimes grapple with is that public doesn't always understand Uh, the value that solicitors hold. So I am leading a project where we are changing how we talk about the rule of law, how we talk about access to justice, so that the public can understand what it means to them and um, understand how it impacts them on a a day-to-day life. I talk about this quite regularly in the media. And, uh, you know, we need um, ministers to understand as well why the rule of law is important. They don't always get it. And often we will challenge ministers on proposals that we think undermine the rule of law. The second priority that I've had is on professional ethics. We're focusing on professional ethics. And we know that there are areas where sometimes if you look at the rules and regulations, you don't always find an answer. You know, we know that our profession is very highly regulated. Generally, most solicitors, they try to act uh, with the highest ethical standards in the best interests of their clients. They have a duty to the court. But there are those little areas where sometimes they don't have a very clear answer. Uh, so we're having a focus on those kind of areas where there are ethical questions and where we can help to provide guidance to the profession. I've also been doing a lot of work on promoting our profession internationally and also our jurisdiction internationally. Uh, The Law Society represents over 220,000 solicitors across England and Wales. 10,000 of those practice overseas in various countries around the world. So not only do we make sure that we're supporting them, but we also look at Uh, new international markets that our members are interested in and trying to get those opened up so that we can have new opportunities available to members that they might want to uh, uh, start start working in. Diversity, another priority during my presidential year, absolute given. I've already talked about my background. You know, I've lived and breathed it. It's really, really important to me. I'm really pleased to see that we've got good levels of diversity coming into the profession now in terms of, um, uh, you know, generally women, black, Asian, minority ethnic solicitors, we've got, you know, LGBTQ, disabled solicitors, we are getting better levels, but we need to improve those. And we're certainly not seeing them translate through to the senior levels of the profession, or the senior levels of the judiciary. So that's another area that I've had a focus on. And then my final focus, it goes right back to where we started our conversation, 
members are really important to me. I want to do everything that I can to support them and to support their businesses. I've been holding presidents' virtual surgeries so that members can make appointments with me online, talk to me 15 minutes or so about any issue that they think that the Law Society can uh, help them with, and we will take that away and do what we can to support them. I have regular meetings with various stakeholders, including the SRA, uh, Legal Services Board, Legal Ombudsman, HMCTS. You know, we, we speak to a number of stakeholders, so we're in a good position to raise concerns that our members raise with us. Uh, you know, I talk to uh, members of parliament regularly as well. So we want to take back what members are telling us and see what we can do to improve that. And I've also had a whole programme of um, going out and about across England and Wales to visit members in their areas as well, to hear from them, find out what their concerns are, what their issues are, and also talk to them about the work that the Law Society is doing on their behalf. So hopefully you can see that's been keeping me very, very busy. Absolutely. And I like this online surgery. Is that a new thing you've introduced? It's almost like a politician, uh, what they do. I really like that. That makes you more accessible. Yes. Direct contact with members so they know what actually what you do. That's brilliant. And what sort of issues are they raising then? I mean, oh, there's been a whole range, whole range of things. Um, so I've had members contacting me about post-Brexit issues. So if they've been practicing in Europe post-Brexit, there have been all kinds of issues. They've raised that with me. I've had members talking to me about um, uh, professional indemnity insurance issues, diversity issues, uh, concerns with the uh, court online system, um, court backlogs, delays, uh, getting onto lender panels. I mean, loads, a whole broad range of issues have come up. That's really good. I like that initiative. And that's really clear to, to know what, you know, those five objectives that you had. Yes. Yeah. Of those, is there something that stands out where you think a policy or an initiative has had really a significant impact or something you're really proud of? Yeah, I mean, I have to say, um, so this is actually part of the international work that I've been doing. Um, I I had a visit to India uh, in February and March. And the purpose of that visit was because the India legal services market has been closed to foreign law firms and foreign lawyers. And we know that that is a market that is of huge interest to members here in England and Wales. Um, And the Law Society has been trying to uh, get that market opened up for some time now. There have been a number of kind of uh, discussions and negotiations about it. Uh, So I went over in February and March. Uh, I talked to the Bar Council of India. I talked to the um, uh, ministers who deal with law, talked to the British Embassy over there. I had meetings with a number of Indian law firms. uh, And I was absolutely delighted that three days after I came back, to England after my trip, the Bar Council of India announced that they were uh, opening up the India legal services market to foreign law firms and foreign lawyers. So uh, law firms and lawyers from England and Wales can now practice in India, which they were not able to do previously. And I know that that has actually impacted not only on our uh, larger firms, but right across the board. You know, we've got high street firms that have been really keen to, uh, you know, go and practice in India. So that's been a massive, massive achievement. I was really pleased with that. Yeah, I like to think I, I had something to do with it. 
<laughs> well, three days later, that that's brilliant. I did see that on LinkedIn, actually. It sounds like you do an enormous amount of traveling. What does a typical, is there a typical day? I mean, what time are you up? What time do you go to bed? What does it look like? I'm fascinated by that. Yeah, I mean, I do a fair bit of traveling, but um, even when I'm not traveling, to be honest with you, most days are very similar, whether I'm traveling or not. Um, they are very, very, very long days, Yasmin, quite frankly. You have very long days because you will often spend a day in back-to-back meetings, uh, particularly when you're not uh, in Chancery Lane. So if I'm traveling around England and Wales or if I'm traveling internationally, the day will usually start with a breakfast meeting. You will then go on to having other meetings with members, with stakeholders, with firms, Um, Sometimes I'll be talking at a seminar for members or I will be speaking at an international conference. Um, uh, You know, I may be meeting with politicians. Uh, I may be meeting with other stakeholders in the area where I am. I've often got press and media interviews to do because wherever, if you're traveling away from Chancery Lane, sometimes the local press or the international press, they're interested to know why you're here, what are you doing, what are you working on, what are the issues that are impacting on uh, members in England and Wales. And then quite often there will be an evening event to go to as well because there will be some reception or other that's going on with a focus on a particular area. So it might be around access to justice, it might be on the rule of law. Um, and so you'll be attending that. So you're often getting back late in the evening. And then when you get back, you've got all your emails to catch up on because your inbox doesn't doesn't pause while you're out and about doing all this stuff all day. Um, so, yeah, I have to say it's it's been quite a sleep deprived year. <laughs> yeah. Was that a shock to you? You, you were. Did you get advice? For, I mean, Stephanie Boyce was the way well, you've been around council for a while to see and probably it was a shock it was a shock it was a shock I mean you there's a lot to do and uh and to be honest you want to make the most of your year as well when you're in post you you want to do as much as you can to make a difference because you've only got one year to do it and I think that's really what what you know that's what what you focus on you've got one year it's a limited amount of time and uh you want to make the most of it so you know, weekends are your downtime if you're if you're not travelling. I can understand now why the post is only for a year because you'd probably burn out, wouldn't you, if you had to do that? Well, you, yeah. I mean, I think I think because the post is for a year, you kind of do as much as you can during that year. It's interesting because a lot of people that I have spoken to are surprised that it's only for a year, and a lot of them say to me, "It should be for longer." And I must admit, when I look at uh, other presidents of, uh, particularly internationally, many of them do a term for longer than a year, which kind of makes sense as well, because you are developing relationships, you're getting to know people who are in positions of influence, uh, decision makers, policy makers. And, you know, as you're kind of establishing those relationships, you kind of finish after a year And then the next person coming in has to start that all over again. So I can see the logic in it, it, you know, it should be a bit longer. And it may be that if it was a longer term, it might not be as intense as it is for the one year that you do do it. But at the moment, uh, uh, there are no plans to change that because that's what the regulations say. It's a one year term. I've, I've heard that as well, actually. People questioning, should it be longer? That's interesting. And 
you know, when you're balancing a high profile career that you've got and your personal life, how do you maintain that balance? You know, what advice would you give to others struggling with this? I mean, you said sometimes weekends you can get for the downtime. What do you do at the weekends? I'm prying. I'm, I'm getting nosy now. Sleep. <laughs> sleep. Yeah. One of my favorite things as well. Yeah. Yeah. Catch up on, catch up on sleep. No, I mean, you know, weekend, you, you will find that you are working um, some of the weekend. It's inevitable. Uh, because as I said to you, you know, e- emails don't stop. And sometimes that's the time that you find to just kind of catch up on things that you need to catch up on. But it is really, really important not to forget family, because without family, you wouldn't be where you are. You know, they are so incredibly important because they give you the support, they give you the encouragement, and they are right there behind you with everything that you're doing. And, you know, you, you want to spend you want to spend time with them. It, you know, it's important to switch off so that you do have a bit of downtime. And then when you come back to it, you're refreshed, you're re-energized and, and you're ready to go again. So, you know, going for walks, that I find helps me quite a lot, clears your head, because often when you're spending a lot of the week just going from meetings back to back to back, you don't actually get a lot of fresh air. Um, so, you know, where you can find time, even during the week, to go for a half hour walk, certainly at the weekend, it's nice to be able to go for a nice long walk, clear your head, get some fresh air, get some vitamin D <laughs> um, if the sun's shining. Uh, so that's quite important. And I think, you know, the other way of balancing things is, Uh, keeping lists of things that you need to do Uh, you know keep a list of things that you need to do in your professional life and a list of things that you want to do in your personal life because actually life admin is another thing that doesn't go on pause while you're busy doing all this other stuff and you've got to make sure that you keep on top of that as well yeah I'm a big fan of lists trouble is it gets longer and longer (laughs) and and looking forward what do you see are the key challenges and opportunities for the legal profession? What are your thoughts on that? Well, I've talked already uh, about access to justice. To me, that is without a doubt one of the biggest, biggest issues that we are facing at the moment. Um, we have got challenges when it comes to legal aid, not only uh, criminal legal aid, but also civil legal aid. Um, We know that there are huge areas up and down uh, England and Wales where there is no legal aid solicitor available to give advice, whether that's criminal legal aid or whether it's civil legal aid. We know that there are massive areas where there just isn't anybody. Um, So, you know, if you if you end up in a police station, you could find that there is no no criminal legal aid solicitor who can come and give you advice uh, within a reasonable uh, vicinity. If you're looking for advice on housing, if you're looking for advice on uh, benefits, uh, on welfare law, on education law, on immigration, you could find yourself in an area where there isn't a legal aid provider for over 200 miles. We, on the Law Society website, we have got what we call our legal aid desert maps. I'd really encourage people to have a look at those because they show in a very, very stark way how big the areas are where there is no provision for legal aid. So for me, that's one of the biggest, biggest challenges ahead. How do we address that? Um, In terms of criminal legal aid, we know that the government commissioned a report, an independent report, which made a recommendation months ago that there needed to be an immediate increase in legal aid rates of 15% in order to stop 
criminal legal aid solicitors from leaving the profession. That hasn't happened. We haven't had that 15% increase. Uh, And in fact, the government decided to uh, implement an increase of 9%. And that was a number of months uh, after that recommendation was made. But actually, at the moment, we are in a cost of living crisis. We have seen inflation rates at 9%. So what that has meant is that, you know, the the 9% that the government offered criminal legal aid solicitors has been cancelled out by the 9% increase in inflation. So they've seen no rise at all for over 25 years. And what that has meant is that number of solicitors doing criminal legal aid has halved over the last 12 years or so, and they are continuing to leave the profession. At the moment, only 4% of criminal legal aid solicitors are under the age of 35 years old, only 4%. And the average age of a criminal duty solicitor now is 49 years old. I have talked to criminal legal aid solicitors who want to retire and they can't find anyone to take over their work or their practice. So when they retire, that's another big gap where there's no provision available. We're also really, really pushing the government to uh, uh, implement an increase in civil legal aid rates as well. Um, The government is doing a review at the moment into civil uh, legal aid. We've been asking for that review for a long, long, long time. So we're really pleased to see it, it, you know, it's happening. But we know that the results of that review are not going to be known until 2024. That's a long time to wait. And in the meantime, solicitors are continuing to leave. We know that in Liverpool recently, the legal aid agency put out a tender. Uh, I believe it was for housing legal aid. They did not get a single application for that tender, not from a firm of solicitors, not from a legal aid advice centre, not from anybody. And that is an indication of how unsustainable the work is. Nobody wants to do it anymore. So that's something that really needs to be addressed as a matter of urgency. Yeah, it's quite frightening, isn't it? I mean, people have been speaking about this issue for years. Yeah. Well, it's, it's contributing to uh, another issue that we've got at the moment, which is the backlogs in the courts. We've got massive backlogs across our courts at the moment. And, you know, we know that we've got more and more uh, litigants in person appearing in courts. That tends to make cases take longer to be dealt with. And another thing that the Law Society is really pushing for is to um, bring in legal aid for early legal advice. Because if people were able to get legal advice very, very early on in their case, then that may help. Well, I'm I'm absolutely confident it would help to stop a lot of cases ending up in the court system that don't need to be there. So, you know, I know, I I don't know whether you, um, uh, I I suspect you're not, you're you're not, um, you're not old enough, Yasmin, but when I came into the profession, we used to have what was called the green form scheme. Um, And whilst I'm not saying bring back the green form scheme, it was a very good scheme because what it meant was that anybody could go and see a solicitor and they would get, well, anybody on a low income, not anybody, but, you know, anybody who was on a low income, they could see a solicitor and get two hours of free legal advice. And I would often find that all that needed was saying to them either, no, you haven't got a case because of X, Y, Z. Yes, you have got a case, but you need to do this, this and this before you can pursue it any further. Or it might mean I just needed to send one letter for them to the other side and that would resolve the case. 
Or you might be able to signpost them to another agency that would be able to help them resolve that problem. What's happening now is that because people can't get access to legal advice, the default position is let's issue proceedings in court. And then we're finding judges are having to uh, deal with what's coming through the door and judges are having to, um, uh, you know, they're wasting more and more time dealing with litigants in person who perhaps should not be there in front of them. Yeah, clogging up the system and maybe sift out those cases that don't need to be there. Yeah, Yeah, that does make sense. So we're, we're coming to a conclusion soon. I mean, the time's gone so quickly. So, Lubna, one of my final questions is, what advice do you think you would give the next president or future presidents to come? What do you reckon? Well, I think the first thing that I would say is, is absolutely, um, you know, d- go for it, do it, because it is an amazing role. It is an honour and a privilege to be president of the Law Society of England and Wales. And you really are in a position where you can make a difference. So um, I would encourage anybody that's thinking about doing it to absolutely uh, put themselves forward and do it. I think you need to have a bit of a vision about what you would like to achieve during your year and uh, try and keep focused on that because during the course of the year, there are always curveballs that will come along the way. And of course, you have to deal with those. And of course, you know, you are the representative of the profession. So you've you've got to be ready to deal with things that you might not be expecting along the way. But I think the key thing is think about what you want to achieve, focus on what you want to achieve um, and, and, and enjoy it. You know, really enjoy it because sometimes you get wrapped up with, uh, you know, zooming through everything that you need to do and you don't always get a chance to stop take a breath and just really enjoy the moment <laughs> sounds like parenthood to me <laughs> <laughs> try and stop juggling and actually enjoy the moment be in the moment that's great advice i think for for lots of people actually and finally what's next for you lubna because you were a sole practitioner before weren't you yes is that the plan I mean, it's going to be very different pace, isn't it? I know it will be. I know. I know. I mean, I, 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 yeah, I mean, I've got my practice. I will go back to my practice and, um, you know, I will see what other opportunities might come along. Be in the stretch zone always. Absolutely. Get out of your comfort zone always. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. that's a great place to end. Thank you so much for your time. I'm sure you've got a packed agenda after this session. And thank you very much for being a great guest on The Hearing. Thank you. It's really nice to have done it. And thank you for asking me. The Hearing, a legal podcast from Thomson Reuters. To find out more, go to tr.com forward slash the hearing or subscribe via iTunes, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.